0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. We are now in the dog
1: days of summer, as we kind of just are in that period, we're about 100 days out from the start of the football season. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the H.O.L. podcast. And during this time of the year, you start to get the preseason football magazines on the newsstands, kind of get your uh, your mind on football. Uh, you also have the Big Ten spring meetings, and every year around this time, um, all the athletic directors, the coaches used to go. They don't have to go anymore, but they all get down and they go to Chicago. The Big Twelve used to do there's in Kansas City and they still do one as well but uh, they just discuss different issues and one of the things, and I'm going to bring in Nate Klaus and, and Robin Washett here, and one of the things that the Big Ten is continuing to talk about, and we're going to lead off the show of this today, is, is this this freshman ineligibility rule where they want all freshman scholarship athletes to be ineligible and, and to focus on academics. And it's gotten a lot of national news, Robin. and um, But it's, it's really – there's more to it. And I think when you just look at it on the surface – it sounds terrible, but there, it, there's an end game in play here.
2: Right. When, when Jim Delaney first proposed that back in February, you know, when that, that initial idea came out, uh, there was a lot of backlash, uh, and deservingly so. I think most people would agree that was probably the most archaic and uh, just ridiculous idea they'd ever heard of to, you know, make – freshman ineligible like it's like you're going back 20 years instead of, you know, moving the league forward but uh, as kind of the conversation has developed and especially, you know, this past week at the Big 10 meetings, I think it's pretty clear that that idea was just kind of thrown out there as a platform to get the discussion started on a bigger issue and that's kind of just a, a refocus on academics in college athletics. Uh, I think that, you know, that the whole ineligibility idea, you know, did what it was intended to do. And that serve as a lightning rod to get the national attention uh, going on what, you know, the Big Ten and I'm sure some other conferences around the country view as a a pretty big problem in college sports. And that's the fact that, uh, you know, that the idea of the student athlete is disappearing more and more by the year and that it's just becoming more of a a, a semi-professional sports business, especially in football and basketball. And so uh, I think that, you know, as crazy as it sounded, you know, a few months ago, uh, you're starting to kind of see why uh, or the intent that Delaney and the Big Ten office and the athletic directors around the conference had uh, just just to get the conversation going and try, trying to you know really focus on some more realistic ideas of how to uh, address what is becoming a, an issue of just kind of the the shift away from academics.
1: And Nate, it, it's just not feasible when you think about it though, because you have eighty five scholarships. And let's just say you sign twenty five freshmen or twenty three freshmen, you're asking a football coach to play with sixty five total scholarship players if that rule ever came into play, and and that that's. Really, why I, I if you just look at it, there's just no way they could actually put that rule in the place and say freshmen would not be eligible, and that, I think that's it's just frustrating because then you hear the SEC they're using it against the Big Ten and recruiting now and, and different things like that.
3: Yeah, there's no way that you could possibly you know, make that happen and, and try to, you know, ask a football coach to go through a a regular season with only 65 guys on your roster, even a school with like Nebraska that has so many walk-ons. Or 60, even if you had 25 freshmen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even a school like Nebraska that has so many walk-ons still, I mean, it's it's just not that not feasible to do that. Um, And it is uh, being used against the big 10. other schools are, are, uh, you know, bringing it up to, to recruits. And um, you know, it's a, I understand what what Robin was saying as far as you know it being a lightning rod and and trying to get you know attention uh, and it's certainly done that. Uh, but I think some of it has been kind of negative, um, you know, in terms of other schools saying, "Hey, you know, if you go to the Big Ten, there's a chance that you might not be able to play as a freshman."
1: Yeah, it, it is an interesting thing, and you're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, Dan Hoppen is not with us this week. He is in Minneapolis. Uh, eating big hamburgers at the Juicy Lucy and Matt's and uh, also covering the Big Ten baseball tournament. You can also hear this HOL podcast Saturday mornings on 93.7, the ticket in Lincoln and 1340 KHUB on the AM side in Fremont. Guys, some of the other things discussed this week at the Big Ten meetings, um, the championship football game, and they've played it since the Big Ten has started in Indianapolis uh, they like the indoor setting. I know initially there was some discussion, let's have the game in Soldier Field, but they've determined, you know what, we need to keep this thing indoors, whether that's the new Minneapolis stadium down the road or even Detroit or obviously Indianapolis.
2: Yeah, as cool as it would be to have that game in Soldier Field or Lambeau or any of those iconic venues, uh, the reality is that the Big Ten doesn't want to hurt itself when it comes to getting a team into the college football playoff, You know, especially now that uh, this new playoff system is in place uh you want to make sure that your conference championship game has as little um you know uncontrollable variables as you can possibly have and you want to have your best team uh you know have a legitimate chance to to move on and and potentially play for a national championship for the good of the conference
1: and this was something in the big 12 that was somewhat of a lightning rod of Dan Beebe because uh Tom Osborne was very upset about this back in 2009 Dan Beebe said that the Big 12 would no longer be using a rotating northern site, whether that was Kansas City or St. Louis, uh, but particularly Kansas City, that the championship game was going to be permanently played in Dallas. And, And that really upset Tom Osborne and Nebraska people back then, because they didn't think it was fair, obviously, to have to play Texas or Oklahoma and Dallas. But I think from this perspective, Indianapolis is kind of like the Big Ten Switzerland. It's the <laughs> it's the neutral city um, where you don't. I mean, not, no knock on Indiana or Purdue, but you don't really have to worry about a a team like located in the city that that close to, to you know have the advantage. It's just a it's a good neutral Big Ten city, as is Chicago. But uh, yeah, I, I do like uh, the idea. And Nate, the, one of the other topics discussed – this week is the 20 hour rule. Um, you know, it's, it's a rule that is in the books. Rich Rodriguez was fine or, you know, suspended for it at Michigan for going over 20 hours. And what it means is athletes are only allowed 20 hours of practice time per week with the coaches. And that's something the Big Ten has been talking about of just getting rid of altogether and, and, and kind of restructuring that rule.
3: Well, it, it'd be it'd be helpful for the coaches, but at the same time, I think it could be a kind of a slippery slope. For the players too, because you know one thing you know that we were talking about earlier is academics. These guys are student athletes, and you know when when you start talking about you know the demands of being a full-time you know student you know combined with being a you know a full-time you know football player, especially at a at a big-time program. I mean, these guys put in an insane amount of hours during the week, you know, to to get everything they need to you know get done done. So you know. I don't know. It depends on how you tweak it. it, it you could go a couple different ways, but um, I, I do think it's kind of a slippery slope. It's something to look at, but I'd be surprised if if there's major changes. made. Well,
1: and Bo Pelini towed the line on that 20-hour rule. We saw. I mean, they well, everybody go, toes the line. I mean, yeah, they would go out to practice at 2:45, three o'clock for walk through, and go till 6:30 sometimes, and you know, so they'd have three and a half hour type practices. Um, so, yeah, it, it's something that coaches totally found ways around because yeah. you could have the walkthroughs and the other things that didn't really count. Um, so that will be interesting to see. if it either, It's just a talking point. Where, where, where are all the unions, by the way? Remember a year ago at this time yeah. you were talking about Kane Coulter and Kenny Bell and union talk? Uh, the unions would be all over this right now, but that, that's kind of died.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I think with, with this whole ineligibility discussion, you know, Northwestern is also, uh, you know, ruffling their feathers a little bit talking about uh, you know if, if things, changes aren't made and the uh, playing field isn't evened out you know between the the top high profile programs and you know the rest of the pack you know like schools like Northwestern that are focused on academics and you know they'll potentially you know withdraw from the Big Ten and you know do all these drastic measures so uh, they're, they're still you know may, chirping a little bit but uh, it certainly has cooled down from where things were a year ago.
1: You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast last note we'll leave you with here from the Big Ten meetings and this probably should Shouldn't come as a shocker, but Barry Alvarez fully endorses the Mike Riley hire. And, you know, Barry's obviously been in the corner of Sean Eichhorst and Harvey Perlman uh, the whole way. And um, uh, Barry Alvarez said he kind of reminds him of a Tom Osborne uh, when, when looking at a guy like Mike
2: Riley. Yeah, most people would agree with that just from their personality. But a little side note to that, uh, when I was doing my spring recap with uh, Tom Kaker of Hawkeye Report, our Iowa rivals site. You uh, know, he was talking about Mike Riley and he said to him, uh, Mike Riley reminds him a lot of Kirk Ferentz. Hey, so, Kirk Ferris Kirk yeah. <laughs> has
1: won an, won an Orange Bowl. That's right.
2: Hey, you know, consistency.
1: All right. When we come <laughs> back here on the program. We will go through some more football storylines that have come out here through the week. That's next here on the HOL
0: podcast. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And
1: back here on the Husker Online podcast, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as. We now move on to kind of the storylines of the week here around Husker football, and we're starting to get the schedule piece together as far as kickoff times. We still don't know the BYU game time, which is a little surprising. We know the BYU, the opener, will not be a night game. It's either going to be an 11 or 2.30 game. From the fans' perspective, you hope it's 2.30, but it also could be hotter than heck. Um, either way, it could be hot at 11 or 2.30 uh, for that opener. Uh, but the Miami game has been set for a 2.30 central kick out in uh, Miami there. And, you know, that's going to be a hot day in, in that Miami Heat. Nate and I have experienced that. Remember that we went to that Marlins game on a Sunday, and we, we left in about the fourth it was inning. Cause it, was, it was a day game. And it's going to be just like that potentially down there. Southern Miss is an 11 a.m. South Alabama, a 7 p.m. game, and we know the Michigan State will be a night game. Um, Another schedule news Arkansas State has been added to the schedule for 2017, and Nebraska will pay them uh, $1.65 million. Um, The Big Ten will be going to nine conference games at that point. So in 2000, uh, next year is actually the first year of the nine, but 2017, Nebraska plays at Oregon. Arkansas State and Northern Illinois, so not a bad schedule. You've got a team that consistently wins the Sun Belt, and then a team that consistently wins the MAC, along with Oregon. So that you know, it's shaping together where you can't really criticize that schedule at all when you look at it on paper.
2: It's really an interesting challenge now for teams as they look forward to future scheduling with the addition of that extra conference game, because uh, you know you don't want to overload your non-con slate with you know r- a ridiculously tough schedule but at the same time with the college football playoff you almost have to you have to have legitimate opponents on there because if you don't and you just do a cupcake schedule you're going to get penalized for it when it comes down to potential tiebreakers
1: what's funny though when you go back and look at Nebraska schedules in like the 80s and the 70s th- there was no such thing as a cupcake team and you know, for them, a cup- cupcake game was like Colorado State or Utah or New Mexico State. It would come in here sometimes. But you look at some of those old schedules, and they would play like Florida State and Auburn in and, and the same year. I mean, they would play big-time games where there would be very few cupcake games. I just think the landscape has changed so much with the playoffs and the bowls and everything, where there's just more teams, and, and you have to fill your schedule some of these games.
3: Well, yeah, you have to get wins, and I mean, everything's centered around around getting those wins now. So you have to. I mean, it's a delicate balancing act for for uh, for every football team out there, really. But what, what interests me is uh, is the one point six five million dollar payout. I mean, I believe that's a record for Nebraska.
1: For Nebraska. Yeah. Well, no, Southern Miss got more when they came in here because Nebraska bought them out of. A home oh yeah, game. they gave up a home game. Yeah. They basically paid Ellis Johnson's buyout. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it came down to. Yeah. That game was going to be in New Orleans. That would have been sweet.
3: Yeah, that yeah been I was
1: amazing. pretty mad that we didn't get to go to New Orleans.
2: <laughs> well, it from, didn't it go from New Orleans then potentially to Kansas City and then end up just in being another home game? Yeah,
1: and Osborne's like, instead of playing in Kansas City, let's just play it in Lincoln and <laughs> we'll pay it, We'll pay out Ellis Johnson's buyout and we'll still make $5 million. So, yeah, it is uh, interesting uh, on the schedule front. Uh, but, yeah, you can't criticize that. And going into nine conference games, I still don't know what I think about that. Yeah just because the SEC and the ACC aren't going to do it. Because what that means is every single you're going to have basically 14 teams in your league and you're going to have 14 more wins and 14 more losses uh, across the board, where if you added a non-conference game of those 14 games across the league, odds are you're going to get 12 or 13 wins and just one loss. So it really does affect your win-loss record a lot. And I'm not sure people have really grasped what that's going to do to the Big Ten going to nine in the future
2: yeah the the one argument to be made for it though is again it's that strength of schedule component where you know you're adding another league game and regardless of the opponent it's it's a team in your league and if you get a win there that only furthers your resume whereas you know these sec teams are me playing the citadel in november and uh you know maybe that'll work against them
1: and you look at like the pac-12 they've been doing it for a while and it's it's very tough i mean ucla They're one of the last teams, along with USC, that will not play FCS teams. Hmm. I think Notre Dame is one of the other ones. There's only about three or four that don't. And UCLA last year played nine conference games. They played Texas, and they played – who was the other game against? They played another – They they played Virginia, Texas, and somebody else at a conference that was pretty good. And then, you know, if you make the conference championship game – you know, you're talking 13 games there yep. against Power Five opponents of your 14 games, and it's just, the Pac-12 to me is at such a scheduling disadvantage. But they can't fill those stadiums out there if they play bad games. And Colorado was always like that; they had to play tough games because nobody in Boulder would go watch them play mm-hmm. uh, a cupcake game.
2: Yeah, and again, I, th- I think it's it's going to make life difficult, certainly. But at the same time, the reward I think could make it worth it, uh, especially if you know the Big Ten is wanting to you know have an edge over some of these Southern teams that you know SEC teams that uh, aren't willing to do it.
1: You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Some other storylines around Husker football this week. Uh, Cornerback Bose Joseph received a $300 fine for uh, possession of marijuana. No word or anything on his status with the program at this point. We assume um, he still remains a part of the team going forward. Uh, defensive end guys, Jack Gangwish got his truck stolen, and but it has been found. The stereo was missing. Uh, I guess Gangwish still thinks he's out in Wood River. He leaves his keys in the in the ignition in, in, at his house, and yeah. so somebody um, came in and took it. I don't even know if the insurance company would
3: cover you on that if you leave your keys in there like that, would they, Nate? Well, if you see the truck, I don't know uh, if it is insured. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not insured, but. Yeah, if I'm stealing a truck, you know, I probably don't want to steal Jack Gangwish's truck. No, he is the
1: last guy. Uh, <laughs> that truck has been through a lot, I'm imagining. Uh, dirt roads, raccoons. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Is, is there a guy that's had a more interesting last couple off-seasons than Jack Gangwish? I mean, that guy, you know, for, for just being a, a small-town kid from Nebraska that's worked his way up, uh, he, he certainly gets into some ventures. He's found
1: himself in the headlines. Uh, another headline here um, of interest for Husker fans, Drake Martinez, former Nebraska defensive back, brother of Taylor Martinez, wins an appeal at Michigan State, and he'll be immediately eligible this year, which is somewhat interesting because we've seen this before where it's not worked in that way. And Drake Martinez sat out last year. He, played, he went to a junior college. I believe he played there, Nate, right? Did yeah, he, he played. In um, California, yeah, it
3: was I. Um, I want to say it was Orange Coast, or it was it was one of those junior Fullerton, one of the junior colleges down there in, in Orange County, or around in that. There's area. about 75 JUCOs yeah. in California. So, uh, it's, but but yeah, after he left Nebraska, he did go to to California, played uh, a season of junior college football. Um, and what's interesting about this whole deal is. You know, just last year we saw Nebraska try to, uh, try to recruit a player at Iowa Western who was a transfer from Ohio State. And uh, the Big Ten said that he was going to be ineligible uh, to go to transfer back to any Big Ten school. And so Nebraska essentially had to pull their scholarship and, and recruit a different player. Uh, but in this case, Drake Martinez, you know, Transfers out of Nebraska, goes to junior college for a season, and then signs with Michigan State. And for whatever reason, uh, you know the, the the conference granted Michigan State that appeal, and he'll be able to play this. I think he's
1: three for three because he redshirted his year at Nebraska, and then last year would have been his redshirt freshman year. So I believe he'll be three yeah. for three, and you yeah. know it's interesting because Michigan State. They see something clearly that Nebraska didn't see. I mean, Michigan State loves him, and they think that this is a game-changing player for them.
3: Well, and you have to remember that Drake Martinez was coming out of high school. Uh, now, his his recruiting his recruiting process wasn't wasn't uh, covered like uh, a lot of other kids. They were very very under the covers. Under yeah, I mean, they played everything close to the vest. You never really knew exactly what was going on. But the one thing we did know is that Drake Martinez. Took an official visit to Nebraska. He took an official visit to Michigan State. Ended up choosing Nebraska, but at that point in time, Michigan State still liked him. Uh, and they were really his, his only other big offer, uh, you know, along with Nebraska. At least major offer that was, you know, uh, somewhat committable, I, I think, at that point in time. And,
1: and Bo Pelini, it was interesting because I don't think the offer was always like a committable offer. And there was a night in December or January where Polini just called Casey Martinez and just said, do you want to come? And they said, yeah, we're going to do this or not. And then they said, yes. And so then Casey Martinez texts me at about midnight and all it said was in the letter in. and I go, what? And he goes, Kate Drake's going to Nebraska. I mean, that, that was just how the Martinez operated. They were, de- they, uh, they handled the recruiting and did it a lot differently than, and than most people and, uh you wish drake well i'll definitely be following what he's doing because you know defensive players at michigan state they just have a magic wand out there and every guy that plays on their defense (laughs) turns into a good player so i'll be curious what happens out there well
3: there's no doubt that he's a talented athlete i mean he's tremendous athlete great size uh in for whatever reason, it just didn't didn't work out at Nebraska. I know he had to overcome uh, some health issues. He always seemed like he was hurt or, or got, he got sick. Mono. Yeah, he got mono at, at uh, the wrong point in time. Kind of missed spring ball. Uh, there was always something going on. So you hope that – I mean, you want to see him do well and and you hope that uh, he's able to get his career kind of back on track at at East Lansing. And,
1: Robin, last storyline of the week, Randy Gregory gets a $3.81 million contract with the Cowboys. Now, is that $1.03 million signing bonus included in that number or is that an outside number um, when when they put those deals together? I think
2: think that's outside because that's not structured into your – actually actually base salary so uh, a nice little uh, salary obviously that's kind of on par for where he was drafted maybe a little bit on the high end too so uh, Gregory's agent did did some nice work there and now he's got to go earn it
1: six so after taxes that signing bonus is probably six hundred to six hundred and fifty thousand dollars of guaranteed starting out money and definitely not as much as Randy was hoping but um, he's a millionaire now and and now he's got to go proven on the field and um, it will be interesting when we come back here on the program we'll shift back over to basketball and we'll figure out what's going on with michigan graduate transfer max bielfeld and if the huskers are still in it
0: this is huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics beach,
1: back here on the hol podcast sean callahan robin washett here talking husker basketball news here from the week and Nebraska is still in the mix, Robin, for Michigan graduate transfer Max Beal, fell had a great trip to Lincoln last week. You were all over that story, and you had a chance to even talk with Max since the visit. But some news has since developed in that storyline. Uh, Indiana has now gotten involved, and the Hoosiers are des- also in need of a player at his position. Um, so what is the latest? I mean, Max is done taking visits. Uh, where are things at with him?
2: Yeah, his last visit, well, like you said, was to Indiana on Sunday and Monday, and uh, shortly after his visit wrapped up uh, he announced that he was done taking any more visits and he's got a final four now of uh, nebraska indiana iowa state which has been recruiting him for a long time and de paul which uh, he's an illinois native so the in-state school in the mix so uh he's told he's told basically every reporter that's asked that he plans on making a decision within the next few days and so that was as Monday uh so I'm assuming we'll probably hear something here fairly soon if not by the end of the week uh it's kind of hard to say exactly where Nebraska stands right now because on one hand you know when I spoke to him about his visit uh he loved it he loved everything about it he really got along with the coaching staff uh, and sees a great opportunity to come in and be an immediate impact type player which obviously is a graduate transfer that's probably the main thing you're looking for uh uh, but the problem is uh, when Indiana shortly got involved uh, after, uh, they not only offered the opportunity for playing time after you know dismissing two scholarship players for disciplinary reasons, uh, they also are a top 15 team. And so, you know, there's a lot of draw to Indiana and the fact that he made his announcement that he's done taking visits after that Indiana visit, uh, you know, it, it's... I think that if I were to guess right now Indiana seems to be the front runner but at the same time I think you know Nebraska isn't that far behind just because you know again they offer a lot of the same uh, you know benefits, and and one thing that they have that uh, Indiana doesn't have is the opportunity to play for Tim Miles. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of players that really like that.
1: And we joked uh, if he comes to Nebraska or came to Nebraska, he'd almost be like Dave
2: Hoppen. I mean, exactly. he, they they
1: just need post bodies. Yeah.
2: And in Indiana, he'll he'll likely just be another guy. I he'll mean, be just, the same role he had at Michigan. Exactly. Yeah. He'll, I mean there's just not even a guarantee that he's going to start, you know, say what you want about their post depth, but uh, Indiana has a lot of good players coming in and they're not even done recruiting for 2015. And they're in fact, they're one of the finalists for a five-star player and Thon maker, who's maybe one of the best players in the 2015 class regardless. Uh, And if they land him, then all of a sudden Max is back where he started at Michigan, just a role player guy that, you know, comes off the bench. But at Nebraska, like you said, he could be a key factor and maybe the missing link to a team that's that has a lot of young, talent, but just no depth in the post.
1: Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. Here we're talking basketball storylines on the HOL podcast. Robin, and there was some other recruiting news in the 2016 ranks for Nebraska Huskers. Are going to cut ties with the guy?
2: Uh, potentially, uh, you know that it's it's looking more and more like the, the writing is on the wall that uh, Keanu Pinder uh, probably won't remain a member of the 2016 class and it's unfortunate because uh you know he's a guy that originally committed for the 2014 class reclassified to 2015 because of academics and then went the JUCO route down in Hutchinson Community College for this past season uh so it's it's a guy that's just you know he's just kind of just been there for two years now and then all, it's, it's gonna look, be
1: about 26 years old yeah, by the time he yeah, gets in a press.
2: yeah no doubt and it, it's you know certainly disappointing because you put that much work into a guy and then there's a chance that he's never gonna set the f- on foot on the court but you know I think when Chris Harriman announced the decision to go to New Mexico you could kind of sense that was coming just because you know Harriman was really the only reason Pinder considered Nebraska in the first place and so that relationship uh, was a pretty big key and so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Pinder end up at New Mexico and uh, you know we wish him the best luck in his career.
1: Well and here's something else Robin that might have a factor in that you bring in a guy a new coach like Rashawn Bruno and Bruno obviously has his connections and his ties, and he's an ace recruiter. Maybe Bruno just said, hey, we got better guys out there than this. I'll promise you I'll find you a better guy than this kid. We'll, we'll, we'll find somebody um, that, that's going to be a better fit.
2: Well, yeah. And I think it's just kind of a matter of a mutual parting of ways. You know, I think that Nebraska thinks that, uh, you know, they can continue to recruit with this 2016 class because that's the thing. I mean, you still have a whole other recruiting cycle to work on uh, filling that void. And, and they now have two spots open for 2016 if Pinder is officially, uh, you know, decommits. Um, so when that happens, they'll have two spots. But uh, I think that there's a lot, enough high profile guys uh, on the radar uh, for. 2016 they're probably gonna be making some visits here pretty soon over the course of the summer that uh, it's not really that significant of a blow
1: now Robin you've had a chance to, to talk to Rashawn Bruno the new coach from Florida and, and and follow some of his recruiting what are your thoughts and and what's he brought already and, and what's he going to bring
2: well I mean he's a he's a very uh, get down to business type guy I mean, you know when I uh, interviewed him, you know, shortly after the official announcement of his hiring was made, you know, that's one of the things he said a couple times. He's like, you know, I'm ready to get to work. And, uh, you know, just, just from talking with him and the conversations we've had that uh, he, you can, you can sense that, you know, not only does he have uh, a pretty impressive drive for his job, but I think he also understands the challenges that come with coaching at a school at Nebraska. I mean, you're not going to have the luxuries of selling a program like Florida, you know, a multi-time national champion, you know, you're coming to Nebraska where uh, you are building the foundation. You know, there, there's really not a lot of history here in terms of, you know, national championships and final fours and all that stuff. Uh, and so it's, it's a completely different uh, challenge for him. But I think that he's, he's embracing it. Uh, and I think he really th- sees an opportunity to help build this thing into a national power.
1: NBA lottery was this week, too, Robin, as far as who picks where. And the Lakers get number two. That was kind of a big (laughs) storyline, and the Knicks fell down
2: to
1: to four. Um, If the Lakers can somehow get Jaleel Okafor, that would be uh, quite the game-changer. But starting to see now more projections, because now we do know where teams are going to pick. And uh, one out there, there's really only a couple that go into the second round. But uh, Teron Petaway... Number thirty-eight overall, going to the Pistons, I believe, uh, with NBA Draft I mean, if if he fell or he not fell, but if he went at thirty-eight or somewhere in that thirty-two to forty range, I think it makes perfect sense why he went pro because you know that that's a, a about as high as you're going to see him go. I think.
2: Yeah, that would be the peak by a long stretch, and uh, you know the problem with that is uh, you look across any other reputable. Uh, mock drafts—you're not going to see Tram Petaway's name, you know, especially some of the, the you know really you know widely respected ones like Draft Express. Uh, you know, he's not even in their drafted players list. Uh, he's barely even in the top hundred prospects for the 2015 draft. So, uh, what's what I think his best opportunity is going to be is to sign on as an undrafted uh, rookie free agent, and uh, he just had a meeting with the 76ers earlier this week. He's Got another meeting with the Dallas Mavericks coming up here, I think, next week. Uh, And so that's going to be his real opportunity to kind of to make his case to NBA teams. Because right now, all the teams see are, uh, you know, what they've heard, you know, from, you know, coaches and, um, you know, what they've seen on game film and some of the workouts. But what Teran Petaway, you know, his intangible that I think really separates him from a lot of other players is that work ethic. I mean, you're not going to find a guy that works harder than Teran Petaway. And um, he's the... uh, ultimate teammate and I think these meetings are going to kind of help him shed that uh, stereotype that a lot of people put on him, that he's, you know, this selfish ball hog guy that jacks up terrible shots and uh, is a me first type player. Cause that couldn't be further from the truth. The reality is he struggled the way he did last year because he was the only guy willing to shoot the ball at times last year. So uh, I think that as long as he's able to get these one-on-one meetings with teams and kind of uh, open their eyes a little bit to what he's really all about, that's going to be his best chance to earn a spot on a roster, at least a, a tryout this summer.
1: Thanks, Rob, and when we come back here on the podcast, we'll move back into football, we'll talk recruiting, and we'll bring back Nate Klaus.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And it's time to shift
1: over to recruiting talk as we bring in Nate Klaus uh, with Husker Online to talk about the storylines of the week here in recruiting. Welcome back here to the HOL Podcast. Sean Callahan now with Nate Klaus. And, Nate, the uh, evaluation period coming to a close, technically it goes through the month of May, but a lot of teams are are pretty much done at this point uh, as schools across the country, other than maybe states like California, will be out uh, this week with Memorial Day and the holiday being a little bit earlier this year than most years um, in Um, the basically about the earliest it can be, but, uh, Nebraska wraps up their first evaluation period with Mike Riley and his staff. They've covered a lot of ground. They made a lot of new offers, um, and, and a lot of new inroads. What were your big takeaways from this six week period with the staff out on the road?
3: Well, I think there's a couple of things that definitely stick out. Uh, first and foremost, it's the amount of uh, players that they've identified and um, in, in the type of players that they're going after. You know, uh, some coaching staffs recruit off a list, so they'll go out and they'll offer the top 100 players in the country, you know, just kind of a blanket offer. Without a plan. The, of, yeah, without a plan or anything. Just kind of, you know, see a kid who's who's on the you know the Rivals 100 or Rivals 250 and pretty much offer all those guys. Well, uh, we've seen Nebraska go after a lot of those types of players uh, top recruits in the country players who are national type recruits uh, that that definitely fit in with with their offensive or defensive philosophies uh, but on the other hand we've seen them go after you know a lot of players who are kind of under the radar and you know Nebraska and for a lot of in a lot of instances has been you know one of the first uh, big offers for a lot of these kids and then you've seen you know a, a bunch of other schools kind of Come in, all coattail it, yeah, kind of coattail coattail it. So uh, uh, I think that's been interesting, and, and that speaks to their evaluation skills, their ability to identify talent. They're they're watching a lot of film, and and they're recruiting nationally. You know, one of the questions when the when this staff was hired was, okay, uh, is the the areas that Nebraska is going to recruit, or, or is that going to change, or is that going to be, you know, uh, you know, what's that going to look like under Mike Riley? Well. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think it looks a whole lot different than what we've seen. We, they've been coast to coast and, and pretty much everywhere. So, uh, I mean, there's obviously, uh, more of an emphasis in California and in certain areas like that, but, uh, I don't think it's, it's a, a drastic change, uh, you know, from what we've seen. Uh, but, uh, the amount of uh, traction that, that they've been able to gain over the last couple of weeks has, has really been good too and, and I think that the after some frustration from the fan base on the recruiting you know side of things that uh, uh, we're really starting to see an upswing and, and uh, things are going to get pretty interesting here in the next month.
1: Well then camps start next week pretty much the first week of June will be camps and they'll do two weeks of camps in Lincoln and the third week will be satellite camps so there will be literally Twenty one days of prospect interaction, two big red weekends. It is going to be about as busy of a June as Nebraska's had in a while with events and activities. So that it's really not over right now.
3: No, not not in the least bit. And uh, not only do you have 21 days of, of constant activity coming up but uh, you know you factor in the the last six weeks that, that really the staff has pretty much all been on, on the road recruiting um, and uh, that's a, a long time to, to get out in front of people and to, to evaluate talent and, and really not only recruit for this year's class but uh, one thing that we've kind of seen too is that they're, they're putting the foundation, they're laying the foundation for that 2017 class, that 2018 class uh, and that's really um, you know, going to pay dividends down the road. You're
1: listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Klaus, we're talking recruiting. Nate, as far as regions and areas go, um, is Ohio and Pennsylvania in those places? I mean, did you notice activity in there? That was something that for Polini's staff, they had a little run there, but then once Vince Marrow went to Kentucky, uh, you, you didn't see Nebraska as much in Ohio. Um, did you see him in Ohio and those states as much this spring?
3: There's a, a handful of kids, really, you know, so not much. Uh, we've seen, you know, and it's mostly, you know, there's a couple tight ends and a, a couple of, uh, you know, offensive linemen in, in Ohio, really, and that's pretty much been it there's a tight end and a defensive back in Pennsylvania and that, and that's pretty much been it. And, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of smart because you're wasting just, your time. Yeah, you're wasting your time. I mean, uh, urban Meyer and James Franklin have your, your impact players in those States on lockdown and, and Jim Harbaugh and, and right? Jim Harbaugh. And we've kind of seen a resurgence, uh, you know, of Michigan state, they're recruiting at a very high level lately. So, uh, and they've had some success in, in those States. So, you know, I think you're kinda of wasting your time in those areas unless you have a very good, very tight connection with a with a certain, you know, coach or a certain school in, in one of those areas. And I
1: I've always felt this and I think you probably are on the same page as me, but I think you can find similar three star players in Missouri and Colorado and even outskirts of Illinois, like a Tanner Farmer or someone of that nature, instead of just banging your head against the wall and trying to find a guy in Ohio um, then losing him to one of the local teams at the end because of distance. I think you can still find those guys down in the Midwest area here.
3: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Or you can find one of those guys down, you know, in one of the the talent-rich areas—Georgia, Florida, yeah, Georgia, Florida, Texas. I mean, because there's just so many kids down there. The you know the top programs in those in those states uh, can't take everybody. So, uh, but yeah, you you make a great point there. You can definitely find those types of players right here in the all, the quote-unquote 500 mile radius. I think
1: now, Nate, a week ago at this time, we thought Nebraska might be adding another commit in Quayshon Alexander a linebacker out of New Jersey. He said that he was going to announce his commitment to Nebraska on Monday of this week. Well, uh, now he's going to take all of his official visits. You and I have been around the block. We've seen this many times and I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, he had never even been in Nebraska and he was going to make an announcement to commit there. And clearly somebody got to him and said, Hey, what's the rush?
3: Well, this whole scenario is uh, played out because of mom. And, and as we all know, you know. Mama knows best. Mama knows best. <laughs> and, and, and mom carries a lot of weight in the, in the recruiting process. So when mom is not wanting you to make an early commitment, uh, you're probably not going to make that early commitment. And that's exactly what happened here. Nebraska is still the leader for Quayshon Alexander and by a, a wide margin. So uh, I don't think it's it's time to panic or, or time to write Quayshon Alexander or off. Uh, but he will be taking his visits. He, he'll be taking a visit to Nebraska. And, and to be honest with you, I think the, the coaching staff, especially Coach Bray, has played this fairly well. Um, you know, from my conversations with Quayshawn Alexander, they they completely understood and they want to do right by Quayshawn and especially do right by Quayshawn's mother because uh, if you ruffle her feathers at this point in time, then you can pretty much kiss your chances of landing him down the road o- away right now. So uh, if you make Ma, I'm happy now, uh, you know, there's a, a better chance that, uh, you know. You make should... her happy later. Exactly.
1: And uh, they were in New Jersey for Quayshawn Alexander. Uh, we'll stick in that area. They were in New York uh, with a junior college offer at offensive tackle to Malcolm Pridgen. Is it Pridgen? Pridgen. Pridgeon, And is this the first Juco tackle they've offered or second? I mean, how many have they offered?
3: They've offered two, maybe three. Um, and these are the big fish type yeah, guys. Yeah, and these are the big fish type of guys. Uh, you know, the other player is a, a four-star offensive tackle out of Utah uh, that actually was committed, early commit to BYU, actually just opened things back up. But uh, Malcolm Pridgeon, you know, 6'8". Uh, 285 pound athlete. Has kind of an interesting story. You know, uh, um, he never really played sports growing up. Uh, his father passed away when he was 10 years old. Mother had a stroke and a heart attack when he was 13. Where's he from? He, he's originally from Long Island, New York. Um, And, uh, you know, he kind of was at a crossroads. You know, he could have gone one way or the other. And uh, he kind of found sports at that point in time, you know, when when his mom was really sick uh, after her stroke and her her heart attack. And uh, and he just has really blossomed. He's a tremendously athletic uh, left tackle prospect, has about 20 offers from all the big dogs in the country. Uh, But from talking with him, you know, he's – He's just focused on school, trying to do right. Um, December guy or May? He's going to be a May guy. and, and He's going to be... Uh, three for two. He'll have three years to play two wherever he transfers. And Nebraska's in the picture. Uh, he knows a lot about the program as far as their history goes. Uh, doesn't have quite the relationship with uh, with the coaching staff as he does with some others, but it's early. He's not in any rush uh, right now to make a decision. So Nebraska's in the mix.
1: And hopefully maybe one of those early night games. Uh, but junior college players play on Saturday, so it's hard to get him in during the season
3: it's going to be you know if you get him on an official visit um, it's going to be probably more than likely after the season is over
1: and that will be a big need for Nebraska they have six scholarship senior offensive linemen they're going to lose here to graduation tackle being a humongous position of need so this will definitely be a guy to watch going forward we'll pick up recruiting and talk more Uh, the coaches made some in-state visits this week we'll talk about that next here on the HOL podcast
0: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the
1: HOL podcast, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we close out with recruiting, the evaluation period, coming to an end, and on the final week here, Nate, Nebraska making a big push in the in-state schools, and that was kind of the elephant in the room. When was Nebraska going to visit the in-state coaches? And we have a great relationship with a lot of the coaches. We try to visit about 30 schools a spring along with another of other in-state events, so we get to know Several of these in state coaches, probably as well as anybody. And uh, I think obviously um, there was like, when are these guys coming in? Well, Nebraska definitely got after it here this final week. Uh, They visited 13 total schools in the in state. Uh, Going through the list here in Lincoln, uh, they were at Lincoln Southeast and Lincoln Christian. uh, Then Ashland Greenwood, Omaha Scutt, Miller North, Bellevue West, Papillion La South. And then earlier in the evaluation period, they did go to Westside and Omaha, Omaha North, Omaha South, Omaha Central, Bellevue East, and Seward. So they were making the rounds. I don't know if they've designated a guy to be in charge of the visits for the school because Reggie Davis was at Bellevue West Uh, Mike Cavanaugh will be at the state track meet this week. Uh, That will be kind of their final hurrah. Um, So it looks like they're kind of doing a by committee still on the end state.
3: Yeah, and that's what's interesting about it is is you haven't really been able to gain a sense for exactly who has what. Uh, you know, I know Danny Langsdorf was uh, was by uh, Lincoln Christian back in the back in the winter before and he came by day. there again this week. He came back by there again this week. You know, so we've kind of seen you know the whole staff be pretty involved uh, with you know with the schools that they've checked out and uh, you know, and I know a lot of people were were kind of. You know, wondering, um, you know, hey, how come Nebraska hasn't stopped by? Winners, Nebraska going to stop by, but I think they played it right. I think, you know, right out of the gate. Um you know, when the when the evaluation period opens up, I think you have to get out um, out of state, get in front of those those top you know top targets that you've offered um, you know right away. Um, and not to say that that uh, you have that you can afford to put Nebraska on the back burner, uh, but it's a lot easier to to see those guys that are right in your backyard. It's easier for them to get on campus than it is for a kid from L.A. or Houston or Miami.
1: And they've made three early. 2016 offers, which is more than we've seen, I think, in in, in the past couple years. Uh, so they've done a good job. and I, I think potentially there's room for one or two more where you're looking at four to five in-state guys in this class and and whoever those guys are. I think camp is going to be a big deal. They, they've talked and talked about camp, camp, camp. They've lowered the price down to $50. bucks. they are going to have two Friday night light camps. They're going to have a big man O-line, D-line camp, and they're going to have a skill player camp as well for offensive and defensive backs and and different players. So there will be six total camps on um, Nebraska's campus, three each week, uh, when you count the Friday Night Lights events, where they're going to get a chance to see, hopefully – all the in-state kids
3: yeah the majority of the players that that I've been able to talk to have said I'm going I'm planning on going to Lincoln to one of those camps so they've done a good job at at, uh you know letting those guys know exactly when the camps are letting them know that they want them to be on campus and you know and these guys are are hungry to get out there and and potentially earn an offer and uh, you mentioned three guys offered already well I don't remember at this point in time it's usually one or two yeah usually one maybe two uh but for the most part you know the way the prior staff played it was they were hoping to do the main, you know, majority of their evaluating during camp. You know, uh, the X, Y, and Z kid is going to have to come to camp to earn the offer. Well, Nebraska, you know, Mike Riley, they've kind of gotten out ahead, uh, uh, you know, on a couple kids in the state. They don't want them. another
1: Drew Rot, and you know, Noah Fant and Ben Stilly were two guys that were heading in that direction with a number of offers they were getting. And I think if Nebraska would have waited until June. You just don't know what that was going to do
3: yeah you 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 can't afford to do it especially you know you look at those guys you look at their athleticism you look at their potential their their frame their makeup uh, how they project and, and at the end of the day it's kind of a no-brainer offer so why drag out the process any longer than you have to?
1: Hey looking at these schools that they've gone to this spring, two kind of jumped out at me as ones we didn't know much about and I'm putting you on the spot here but Bellevue East and Seward, do you, do you know who would have been there or just uh, what guys could have been being looked at those two programs? Well,
3: Seward has a couple guys uh, one of their linebackers Josh Balin has been on campus a couple different times uh, for a junior day for a spring game uh, I know they've got a a couple other players there as well, maybe an underclassman or two. Uh, as far as Bellevue East goes, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm well, not, they got a new coach too. Well, um, yeah, they've got a new coach. Um, I'm not 100 you know, percent sure on as far as prospects go, who who they have that might fit the bill. Uh, you know, that Nebraska is looking at, unless it's an underclassman a rising. We got to ask
1: a RSS member Husker Wood. Yeah. Uh, the. I don't know if he's still coaching anymore, but defensive coordinator at Bellevue East on our board. So we'll have to ask Husker Wood uh, who, who they were looking at. But they, they definitely made the rounds this week. And, you know, hopefully that leads to a lot of guys coming to camp. I, you know, they didn't go to Norfolk Catholic, Nate uh, Engelhop is one of those guys. But Mike Cavanaugh uh, will be at state track Friday. They can see him at state track. Uh, Jacob Heeren, is it Heeren? Yeah, here in from Sydney is also going to be at the state track meet. So that's another guy I'm sure that they're going to get a chance to, to evaluate and, and look at in person.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and those are two guys that, that kind of fit the mold of, of, you know, kind of the theme of the year in the state. You know, the 6'4". There's about 10 of those guys. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, 6'4", 220-pound, you know, athletes that, that could, you know, do a number of different things and project to, to a lot of different positions. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what comes – You know, forward with uh, with those guys, but I definitely think if they don't end up at Nebraska, there's no question that they're going to end up playing football at a high level somewhere.
1: You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we close out the show, we're we're talking uh, in state with the, the coaches out on the road, and it will be interesting, Nate, though, just to see who who emerges. I mean, I think both you and I agree, Engelhop is someone to watch. Now, the Nebraska coach is still. He's not really on the radar quite yet, but I think he, we both agree he's a name in camp that could come out of this deal. Uh, what about Jacob Matthew? North Dakota State, they have not early offered in Nebraska the last two years. They early offered Jacob Matthew at Miller North. Um, he's another kind of sleeper name,
3: I think. That offer came as somewhat of a surprise to me, uh, not not because Jacob Matthew isn't deserving, because he, he definitely is. He could play at that level. But what we've kind of seen North Dakota State do is is tell these guys, hey, we want you to come to camp, we want you to come visit, uh, you know, come to camp, and and then we'll offer, um, you know, and that's kind of been their their theme over the last couple of years. But uh, Jacob Matthew takes a trip up there this past Monday um, and has a meeting with uh, with the coaching staff, he gets to see everything, comes away with that offer, and he's very excited about it, you know. Um, you, you look at Jacob Matthew, and I, I see a lot of the same qualities as you saw out of a guy like Nick Deluca. DeLuca exactly, I mean, they're they're very very similar players. So, um, you know, in that regard, uh, I, you know, I'm not surprised that North Dakota State offered. Just the timing of it, uh, kind of. You know, kind of caught me off guard a little bit because it
1: gone it went against their stance. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, I do think North Dakota State's very close to offering Alec Cromer, as is Wyoming, the Beatrice quarterback. South Dakota State's already offered him, uh, which they typically have become the first team to offer a lot of the top kids in the state. Uh, they probably have about 12 offers out right now in Nebraska for this year and the 2016 year. Well, that, that puts a wrap here, Nate, on another edition of the HOL Podcast. Uh, make sure you join us again next week as we'll have plenty more to discuss uh, with recruiting and uh, a wrap here to the Husker baseball season as well. Thanks again for listening here to the HOL Podcast.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.